This is Code Switch from NPR. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. And you know, folks say the damnedest things on Twitter, mm-hmm. right, Gene? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or at happy hour after tossing back a couple of drinks yep. or, you know, around your very own kitchen table. And today we're going to focus on those uncomfortable comments, awkward questions, and sometimes casual racism that we stumble across while we're out living our lives and checking our Facebook feeds. And this particular question, when do we call it out? You know, it's funny you say that because just the other day, I was uh, late for this movie screening that I was trying to get to. Always late. <laughs> you shut up. Um, <laughs> and so I hop in the Uber um, and uh, the woman who's driving me, you know, we just have a small talk, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. And for some reason, she decided to just go in on the most like radioactive chit chat she possibly could. Uh, and so she just brought up um, the shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, uh. of a black man by a white female police officer. Right. Um, I have no idea why she decided to go here, but she was just like, you know, you know, it's such a shame that cops. She was probably just really, really scared. And, you know, not all cops are bad. And, you know, and so I'm looking at her for a second and you know, I'm just like, I don't you know, I'm thinking in my head, like, I do not care enough to have the conversation. So you didn't say anything. You just sat there silently. We were sort of chatting before then, but after she said that, I just looked at her and then I just looked out on my phone and started reading Dear Prudence because I was like, I don't want any part of this, right? And, and I got quiet, right? So like, you know, 20 minutes passed um, and I get out of the car and she apologized. She's like, you know, I'm sorry if I said anything. You know? Oh, wow. Um, you know, that was offensive. And I was like, all right, have a good night. And I just hopped out of the car. Because I'm like, we ain't got to, we don't have to have this conversation. Like, we don't, I was like, not invested enough in her to have the conversation that I think I might have had with other people. You know what I mean? I I feel you. And it's one thing when the casual racism comes from someone you don't know, like Mm -hmm. this Uber driver. And you may never meet again. Yeah, I don't know. But but what about if it's somebody close to you, family or friends? That's something different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. And you can't, you know, give your cousin one star. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And I wish I could. And after a quick break, we'll hear stories about uncomfortable moments with family, friends, and neighbors. And we're going to try to come up with some guidelines for how to deal with these kinds of situations when they involve the people closest to us. Hmm. When do we decide not to interrupt or try to fix someone or teach them? And, you know, do you always have to save them? I mean, just because they say (laughs) something janky, does that mean it's up to you or me to try to make it better? It's hard. So we're going to talk it out Mm -hmm. and maybe get to a point by the end of this episode where we've got a rough guide for when to engage and when to just let it go. Let it go. Uh, uh, Yeah, there was no way we're going to get out of that. I had to. I had to do that. Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt? And 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings. The good news is, LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money, and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there. To see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to learnvest.com slash code switch. All right, y'all, real quick, before we get back to the show, here in the U.S., Tuesday, October 4th, is the only vice presidential debate. And the next morning, the NPR Politics Podcast is inviting you to skip the cable news hangover and get caught up with them. They'll have new podcast episodes the morning after every debate, so you'll know what happened and what it means by the time you get to work or class, 
whatever your morning routine, make the NPR Politics Podcast a part of it. The morning of October 5th, after the vice presidential debate. Subscribe or listen on the NPR One app. And we're back. Hey, y'all. And there are a couple more people joining us to talk through when we must call out casual racism and when it's just not worth messing with our blood pressure like that. Here with me in studio in lovely Southern California, where it never <laughs> rains, is KGB, Karen Grigsby-Bates from the Code Switch team. What's up, Karen? Hey, Shireen. Hey, Jean. Karen. And Karen's written a few books on etiquette, uh, ethniquette, I guess she calls them. Uh, so, Karen, I know you have something to say here. A little bit. And our special guest this week is Nicole Chung. Nicole is managing editor at Catapult, which is an awesome site that showcases the work of incredible writers and storytellers. Hey, Nicole. Hey. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You wrote this great essay earlier this year for the site The Toast that went viral called What Goes Through Your Mind on Nice Parties and Casual Racism. And I'd love to start with what you wrote in that piece. Um, Let's go back to that day. It's around Christmas. You're hanging with your in-laws and other family members. Tell us what happens. Sure. So, um, yeah, it was a a couple days after Christmas, and I was at my in-laws' house. They had some family friends over, and then there were, like, relatives of these family friends. So we're all just kind of enjoying the food, passing it around. It's a great meal because my mother-in-law is an incredible cook. Um, And as always, when I've got little kids at the table, half of my attention at least is just trying to, like, get them to eat and not be disruptive, right? So that adults can have nice conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And inevitably, the conversation turns to, like, pop culture and television because I feel like those are generally sort of safe topics that everybody feels like dissecting and relaxing. Um, Someone mentions, I got to interview Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat. And so someone asks me about it and we're chatting. And then the mother of a family friend, uh, someone I've never met before this evening, looks over at me and says, oh, like, do people ever tell you you look just like everybody on that show? Oh, Um, my God. Yeah. Everybody. Every single person. (laughs) Right, right, right. Children, the old adults. Yeah. Exactly. The women, the men, everybody. I was like, excuse me? Just thinking I must have misheard or something. Um, And she says, oh, you must get this a lot. You know, like, (laughs) like, no, this is actually the first time, um, believe it or not. But, you know, it's definitely just sort of a variation on that, like, all look same sort of thing that I think Asian Americans hear a lot. Um, But just because of the company I was in, I'm in a space I assume is safe. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right. It's just... It was very jarring. I didn't know how to respond. My two kids are sitting right there. Um, So you just have this moment, and it feels like a lot longer than a moment, but you really only have a couple seconds. You go through that in in your essay. You take us through what went on in your mind in a matter of seconds. Uh, Run us through all of those things that happened. You kind of start with, I must have heard that wrong, like, Is she saying this to actually be mean or offensive? Or was it just a verbal slip? You know, why isn't anybody else saying anything? Am I the only person who even noticed this? I'm like really embarrassed. So I'm looking down. I'm not making eye contact with anybody. My Mm -hmm. face is red. There's like this faint roar in my ears because, I mean, I'm socially awkward to begin with a little bit. Um, I really just had trouble figuring out what to say. And I thought of several different snarky things I could say. I thought about just ignoring it. I thought about trying to get her to explain what she meant, just sort of like let her, you know, dig her own hole. And then I I also thought about 
did my kids understand this? Do I have to say mm-hmm. something for their sake to kind of correct course? And it occurs to me, no, they don't watch the show in question, so they actually have no idea what she's talking about. So from their perspective, I don't feel like it needs to be a teaching moment. Like, uh, watch Mama right. school this person now. Like, it, it just didn't seem like that sort of thing was called for. Um, and yeah, I, I inevitably just wound up saying, uh, like, no, <laughs> as in I don't get that a lot. It, I just really didn't feel like I could say much of anything without um, ruining the party. Uh, if ruining you, the fun that everybody was having. If you had to do it over, would you, would you have done anything differently? I still wish I'd thought of the perfect retort. You know, mm-hmm. it's been months, and it's still, it's still really tricky to kind of work that mental calculus because I have different relationships with everybody at the table, obviously. Like, there's my own immediate nuclear family. There's my in-laws and that whole relationship. Yeah. And then there are these family friends and there's this person that I've never met before the evening. So I don't know, just, just the level of trying to figure out like how different people would react. Would everybody feel like they had to jump in and take a side? You know, wouldn't it just be easier if I pretend it's not a big deal and we all move on? And when I did sort of smile and laugh and say no and let the subject change looking back I think there was definitely relief in that room that I didn't say anything Mm. else even though I could have like you both love and hate that moment where everybody just picks up and moves on like nothing happened can I can I just ask you what were the races of the people in the room so um yeah I I was the only Asian American you know my kids are there so they're Asian and my husband's Irish and Lebanese so this was his his family, uh, mm-hmm. so that's their background. And then I believe that the woman who actually said the comment, um, I, I believe she was, I mean, I know she was white. I think she might have been Irish. I feel like she might have mentioned that later in the evening. But yeah, I'm, so that was the sort of the background of everybody there. That was your opportunity to say, have you ever seen the movie Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> you look like everyone yeah. in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the show Cheers? Yeah. <laughs> Um. <laughs> All right, guess I'm I'm curious, Jean, Karen, um, can you give us a moment where someone did jump in, or maybe one of you jumped in and responded, and didn't let it go? Mine would have been an online moment. Does that count? Yes. Oh yes, Absolutely. most definitely. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I live in this neighborhood that is um, a black neighborhood in LA. Mm-hmm. Because the real estate prices are so crazy, people who wouldn't have touched it a while ago are all of a sudden thinking, hmm, maybe we can move over here. And so there has been a large migration of (laughs) white folks who used to live in very white parts of L.A., moving into my neighborhood. Uh, there is a uh, an online sort of community called Next Door. Okay. A lot of neighborhoods uh, around the country. And so mine is Next Door View Park. And somehow the word gentrification got put into um, one of these back and forths. And it just blew up into a months-long argument. And I kept saying to myself, Karen, stay out of it. Stay out of it. You're a reporter. You can't have an opinion. <laughs> but at one point, somebody who was encouraging people to move in said I don't know why everybody's so upset your neighborhood is going to be better when Mm. when we come in when more people like me come and so I just fired off into the computer (laughs) are you equating 
your presence with improving my neighborhood because you're going to volunteer at the library and put your kids in the public school and do mm. a you know garden beautification program? Or are you saying, as I think you are, the neighborhood's going to be better because white people are here and it will be made more valuable? Mm. Um, I'd like some clarification on that because, wow. sadly, I think the latter is probably true. But I'm real surprised to hear somebody say it out loud. What did she say? What did she say? She says, well, of course, I never see race. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. (laughs) And I just think it's a lovely neighborhood. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he said, and you also can't live in the Brentwood neighborhood you want to because it's about $600,000 more. Let's be honest about this. So it went on for a while. I mean, I stepped out again and somebody said it was a bomb thrower because, you know, I, I raised it. But... I was basically, I think, articulating a lot of what people were stepping around. It's like, let's just cut to the chase, whatever. I'm curious if you would have done the same thing if you were having a community meeting and everybody was um, at the meeting from the neighborhood and this discussion was happening in person. Um, Was it easier for you to jump in because it was social media? I would have felt more comfortable doing it in person than on social media. Oh, interesting. Because I think lots of things get misconstrued on social media, including tone, um, because you can't see whether somebody's being sarcastic or whether they're raising an eyebrow or whether they're, you know, encouraging you by giving you an, you know, expression, tell me more, tell me more. All you see is what's written on the screen, where there's a lot less room for for that kind of interpretation when you're face-to-face. So had it been a community meeting, yes, I would have said the same thing um, because the problem's still the same. But, and I don't know how it would have been received. I don't know. And also, you know, on social media, uh, because there are often, you know, potentially hundreds, if not thousands of people watching this exchange, right? People feel <laughs> the need to, to double down on their, if they say something a little sideways, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people feel the need that they need to, like, dig their heels in. Like, oh, that's not what I meant. Um, And so it might be much harder to have productive conversation in that space. Yeah, because you retreat to your own corners and just, you know, throw things out from there. Right. We haven't talked about work. Um, My example actually has to do with work and casual racism. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Years ago, I was producing for a host who will remain nameless. Kermit the Frog (laughs) T-GIF right now. That's what's happening. (laughs) We were interviewing an Israeli director. Uh, The characters in this director's documentary were two young women. Uh, One was Palestinian. The other was Israeli. And in the interview with the host and the director, the director kept referring to how gorgeous, how beautiful the Israeli girl was. And I thought it was really odd that she wasn't speaking in, in that same flowery language about the Palestinian woman. And mind you, to me, these girls looked very, very much alike. They actually look like they could be sisters. And so when we left uh, the studio, you know, we huddled and we were like, okay, what are we going to cut out of this? What are we going to keep in this? Um, Which we always do. And I was like, you know, I thought it was really interesting that she kept saying that the Israeli woman was beautiful and didn't say that about the Palestinian woman. I definitely think that should stay in. And um, the host was like, no, I think that detracts from from what we're trying to do here with this interview. And we went back and forth and then back and forth, and it got a little heated. And then in front of the newsroom, she um, said to me, you have a dog in this fight. Seriously. Uh, which which I took as racially coded, um, a racially coded way of saying... How else could you, you know, take it? Your part, Your Arab, part, Middle Eastern, yeah. your dad's Muslim, uh, you're biased. <laughs> and, you know, I was 
completely shocked. I was also a really young, this was years ago, I was a much younger producer, and I didn't say anything. And it's been going through my head all these years. Like, same with Nicole. I was like, what would I say? What, was, what would be the snappy thing I would say? And how would I have done this? And I really regret not saying anything because there are very few uh, producers of color still here, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like that would have been a teaching moment and maybe that host wouldn't have done the same thing to another young producer of color. And, and I think I would have said, you know, I it's completely wrong for you to call me out in front of everyone for being biased because of my ethnic background without interrogating your own biases as a white woman. I feel like that's what I would have said. It's, and I would have just dropped my mic right there. Shereen, it's funny listening to that little anecdote just because um, both your story and KGB's story and Nicole's story are all people sort of not saying the thing directly, right? But you understanding the subtext there. Yes. And then you spend all this psychic energy sort of trying to figure so out much. how to either uh, make it plain or what you should say, you know, in response. I mean, it's funny that both you and Nicole say that all this time later, right, it's still something you think about, like how you should have responded. And I'm sure she never even thinks about this at all. If she listens to this podcast, she probably won't even know I'm referring to her. This whole podcast is a subtweet. That couldn't possibly be me. I'm not like that. <laughs> yes. It's hard when you're in a work situation. I remember a couple of years ago, um, my husband and I were at a party, and it was one of his work parties. Oh, no. And it was a really mm. diverse group. And the person who was saying kind of offensive things unintentionally was like the boss's wife. So oh. that was just very awkward for everybody yep. because almost everybody in the room works for her husband. Yeah. Like, even if you really want to fire off that perfect snappy retort, it's not exactly like a risk-free situation for you. Um, it was just very, it was very odd. And she kept, what bothered me at that party is she kept asking me about my kids. Like, she was just amazed. It's like, I've never seen multiracial kids before. It was like <laughs> oh her whole gosh. attitude. She asked me if I thought their coloring would get darker as they got older, what? or if I thought it. How yeah. drunk or was she? Know, right? She wasn't drunk at all. Oh, and, um, this is our standard operating. She setting. did. She asked me that. She was shocked they had curly hair, <laughs> and she like asked if she could touch it. And I mean, I had no problem telling her no. <laughs> and also, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about what their coloring will be like when they get older. But um, <laughs> it was a very wow. awkward moment. Wow. And I realized. I felt free to say things because she was not, uh, her husband was not my husband's boss. Like Mm -hmm. many of the, many of the other people at the party, they did have that connection and they couldn't really say very much, you Mm -hmm. know, like she complimented this other kid on his English and he moved to this country when he was like two and he was a student at a nearby college. Um, (gasps) So he's been here for like 17 years and she actually complimented his English. Wow. So I was just trying to make eye contact with this kid. Oh, man. So how do we help people with this? I mean, are there a couple of guidelines we can end this episode with? Karen, you are the etiquette expert. When do you, you know, call somebody out and when do you just let it go? This conversation made me think of something. Another thing I saw in my neighborhood, which was one day in the walking park, there was this older man who was walking on the walking track by Mm -hmm. himself. But there were, you know, a few people on the opposite side of the oval. And one was a Latino family. And he was saying quite loudly, y'all need to go back to your own neighborhood. You don't need to come up here and use our parks. And there were people who were looking around, you know, sort of appalled. And I walked up to the people and I said, he's ridiculous. It's a public park. Everybody has a right to be here. But if you're uncomfortable, I'll walk with you. And the guy's like, no, thank you, miss. But I'm a man. I 
can handle this. And I said, let's don't have you and him get into this. Sure. So I let it go. Under normal circumstances, if he hadn't looked slightly tipsy and if he hadn't been like 6'5", I probably would have <laughs> gone up to him and said, really? Come on. You know, if he'd looked like he could be reasoned with, but he didn't look like he could be reasoned with or that he wanted to be reasoned with. So in that case, it's just wasted energy that might have rebounded badly to the people I thought I was shielding or wanted to offer to shield. So guideline number one, make sure they're not super drunk. <laughs> make sure your physical safety isn't compromised. I mean, it yeah. seems to help in that story also that like he was like the, it, there was no denying, right? The thing yeah. that he was trying to get across, right? One of the yeah. things that seemed to be the through line through all these stories for a lot of us is just the thing that's just not being said. It's like just outside of what someone articulates, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that is so stressful about it. It's like, am I bugging? Am I misreading that? Yeah, that- no, you couldn't have misread this. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if another guideline is just sort of to understand what you want to accomplish if you do say something to somebody. Like, mm-hmm. do you want them to just stop doing whatever it is that they're doing that is janky or do you want to like sort of explore the contours of their soul and try to change them you know and get them to reconsider all the assumptions that they've ever had that led them to say that you you do have a dog in this fight or do you just want to be like yo don't ever say that again you know what i mean i i would want yeah i, I think that's really important and, and and for me i would have said something uh if i could do it all over again because i would want the host to think twice before saying something like that to another producer of color. Um, right. I wish I would have had that mental calculus. Would you say that back to the then. host? Would you say that to somebody who was to supervise the host? No, mm. I would say it directly to her. Hmm. I, if I had that opportunity, because I, because you know, going to guideline number two, what do you want to get out of it? What what I want to get out of it is for her to be more thoughtful. Um, it, going forward and I think I think I think if I had said something it would have surprised her enough that she would have thought twice about doing that again because she was a thoughtful person who hadn't been drinking and didn't look like she was going to punch me in the face (laughs) (laughs) well then you hit the trifecta (laughs) Nicole do you have a guideline um, I think I mentioned this before, but I really try to push back if my kids are in the room and I think they've understood. I would also try to push back, like even if I'm the only person of color, I think I'd try to push back particularly if it, if it's not directed at me, if it's directed, say, at another person or another group. It doesn't cost me personally to speak up. Uh, it, it feels like some, one of those moments where you go to the mat for people. Um, it's hard, though. It can be really hard to read the room. It can be hard to know, like, how the other people will react if anybody will have your back. If it's, yeah, like, if it's actually worth it to try and have a really thoughtful discussion. You're not always going to have the time or the luxury or the inclination. Um, you're not always going to feel like educating. Sometimes yeah. you're just going to want to sort of move on and stop thinking about it and not have that burden. And I think that's okay sometimes. Um, but, yeah, you have to evaluate and decide so quickly and I think that's the real challenge. It's just having to make those snap, you know, those instant decisions in sort of a no-win scenario. That's Nicole Chung. She's the managing editor of Catapult, which is a site that showcases awesome writing from amazing writers. And here with me in studio is Karen Grigsby-Bates from our Code Switch team. And Jean. What's good? You're, you're over there in D.C. Yeah. Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> How would you identify yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Co-host of the podcast. And on that note, 
That is our podcast for this week. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. And we want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Our producer is Walter Ray Watson. Original music by Ramteen Arablui. And thanks to the rest of the Code Switch team. Karen Grigsby-Bates, Kat Chow, Adrian Florido, Iman Smith, and Leah Danella. Our editors are Alice McAdam and Keith Woods. I'm Gene Demby. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. Peace. <laughs>